This is part two of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. So I, uh, in order to describe some of the different schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella, um, one of the examples I give is Holzerian permaculture versus Holmgrenian permaculture. Hmm. And with Holmgren, my understanding is the world has problems. And so if we apply these ethics and principles to these problems, we end up with these techniques. And Holzerian, and then with these techniques, then it leads to all these other benefits and you know, all these good things, including, uh, well, anyway, with Holzerian permaculture, it's kind of like, okay, you've got some acreage and you want to farm it. And so let me give you these techniques. And with these techniques, then you will profit and, and everything will grow and become magnificent. And it just so turns out that the end result happens to be it saves the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, both, so, so, so Holmgren starts with let's save the world. We end up with techniques. And Holzer starts off with these techniques, and it ends up happening to save the world. Yes, so it's top-down for Holmgren, and uh, Sepp is more bottom-up. And, again, to me, they're complementary. I I actually enjoy both, you know. Um, I've done systems engineering for so long that – when people ask me, you know, all oh, do you do you think of design as as as, um, as top down? Is that how you do, or you do bottom up? And the answer is no, I don't. They go, what? No, it, it, actually, really good designers and is a, a, do both simultaneously. You know, there's a they kind of attack it from both ends, and there's a thinking from both ends because the, the both viewpoints really have their own strengths. So. Um, Again, sign me up for both. Um, I love, you know, the way Sep approaches things because it's very practical. It's very, um, you know, and because he's starting from the bottom up, uh, he creates um, solutions that really are solutions, you know. And if you just if you get top down only, you can get theoretical solutions that don't actually work. You know, they, they're great uh, abstract mental constructs. But they lack applicability and practicality when you get to putting them in the dirt. Um, and then if you lack at least a little bit of top down, then if you do everything bottom up, then you can fall into having a lot of, uh, bottom up strat, uh, tactics that don't coalesce into a coherent strategy. And therefore you're, you, you never quite arrive at the potential that you could have. So to me, they, they comp- again, they complement, and I think that um, good design, uh, you know, good design thinking incorporates both approaches uh, in a proper balance. I kind of feel like 
with the Holmgren approach, then it's going to be we, – we want to change because the change would be good for all of us. And it seems to me like to be that, – that, that leads to let's do this politically. And um, with Holter's approach, it's like, hey there, farmers, do you want to make more money? You know, because we, mm-hmm. can, we can get you to make 100 times more money per acre. You know, and so let me let me show you a way to work with nature instead of uh, against nature. And then if you do that, then you'll make more money. So it's it's kind of like going back what we were talking about about 15, 20 minutes ago um, with with the uh, the natural gas. Um, and so uh, uh, rather than being political, it's like let's really do something. But yes, I. I appreciate what you're saying, and yes, I've always kind of got that, that it's been that Holmgren's approach is far more philosophical, and mm-hmm. um, I, I'm, I, I'm told that a lot of the stuff that I project is rather philosophical, although I don't believe I agree with that. <laughs> um, I, but then again, maybe it is, and I'm just uh, not enough of a philosopher to be able to recognize it. You know, I, I, I have to agree with you that in terms of the actual practicality of deployment, that um, the way SEP is approaching it is how you actually get practical implementation on the ground from additional people. It, it, because um, that's that's where they start. But if you you having the Holmgren top down. In the conversation, to you know, to it, it's important. It's just that, yeah. If I'm going to go to a farmer, I'm not going to pull out David Holmgren and start with that. If I want him to, you know, think about whether or not it's practical for him to use certain techniques, we're going to start uh, more as as Sep does on the on the practical side of it. And you know, what will this do, and what will the yields be, and what will the profitability be, and um, so yeah, I think in the implementation side, um, uh, you know, SEP wins. But um, the more top-down thinking is important to help frame and understand, you know, how all of this works together. And um, so, yeah, I'll yeah. just leave it at that. I like the way that you're saying to do both and neither, and mm-hmm. um, and I think I think I want to come back to that when we get into the ethics here in a moment. And so, but I've got another blurb to read. Ready? Yes. The permaculture movement has no central structure. Everybody is free to act as an individual, to form a small group, or to work within any other organization. So, um, I think there's been many times when a question has popped up and um, it's like, whoa, what is the official permaculture position on this thing? And um, I, and it does seem like it comes back to this whole thing of like, well, we, we don't. It's like I remember one time I'm recording a podcast with Jeff Lawton and um, and I, I said, okay, you're – the crown prince. You're the guy that's that's been dubbed, you know, because Bill's Bill's not really able to record a podcast right now. 
Mm -hmm. Bill was still alive, but he wasn't doing so good. Yes. And so it's like, all right, you know, what's the call on this? And uh, Jeff's position was is, is like, I can't make the call because it's like out there uh, so that anybody can say anything they want. And it's like, it's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Because of course, and, and the thing I've said in my podcast many times is you could take a piece of gum, stick it on the end of the stick and say, that's permaculture. And it's like, if somebody wants to do that, they kind of get to do it. We can't stop them because it's a distributed thing. And, and so there's nobody that's really truly in charge. Now, mm-hmm. however, Jeff, uh, kind of said, here's what I think. And then I agreed with it. And so again, that's not an official word, but it kind of gives you a squishy maybe place. <laughs> like here's a possible path, mm-hmm. you know, for those people that were like feeling like they kind of needed to have some clarity on what's the official permaculture stance on this. And so I kind of felt like, wow, you know, if that ever really came up and it was a humdinger, I kind of felt like what we would need to do is probably figure out who are the five biggest names in permaculture alive at the moment and um, able to talk and, you know, see if those five can reach consensus. If they do, it seems like, well, Here's what we think is probably the official word on permaculture. Not definitely, but probably. <laughs> I don't know. Does that seem fair? You know, it's, I was in your thinking there is a, a, a quote from one of the old Robert A. Heinlein novels where uh, a visitor to a planet is trying to figure out what the, the, uh, the, the governing structure is, and he listens to, to them explain it for a little bit. And he says, so it's an anarchy? And they say, oh, heavens, no, it's not nearly that well organized. <laughs> um, so I think that's it. I, I wrote an article for um, what's now uh, Permaculture Design Magazine back a few years ago talking about how I viewed, you know, how Mollis, what Mollison had done when he set up permaculture and how he structured it this way. I said, you know, what it occurs to me is that, you know, I – I wanted, I made an analogy to ecology, you know, and, um, and said there was two possibilities. He could have tried to have structured permaculture as either a, um, K-selected species or an R-selected species. And then I kind of go on to explain that. Of course, you know, an R-selected species is sort of like your weedy species that's opportunistic and can kind of go in and colonize disturbed ground. And a K-selected species is one that has that spends a lot of energy creating um, structure and so forth to be able to survive over the long term. So you're talking more like a tree, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a tree is going to put a lot of time and energy into uh, – it has a long life cycle. It's going to, you know, and, and going to fight for canopy so it can dominate a landscape for a while. And I think what Mollison, I don't know if he thought about it in these terms, but what he did was kind of brilliant. He kind of realized that there are all these diseased trees called modern design practice that are very well established and very deeply rooted, and they have canopy over a lot of civilization, right? They're pulling in all the energy slash sunlight and trying to establish 
um, you know, and, and, and breed a something under that shadow, you know, where all of your resources are being intercepted before they reach you is a really hard thing. So he said, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to launch permaculture as a weedy species. We're going to set it up so anybody can haul off, take a PDC, turn around. Once they have some experience, teach it. Uh, they can go and do it anywhere. They don't have to have my permission. In other words, I'm going to make weedy seeds and anywhere there's disturbed soil where there's a little resource, people can go off and do that. And what can happen is it can propagate quickly. It can spread widely. Its life cycle is short and therefore it can iterate and it can evolve and um, it can mature. And then maybe, you know, he left open what it looks like for permaculture to eventually um, get its DNA into those healthy trees that will eventually dominate the landscape, you know, and displace the uh, diseased overstory that we have inherited in our design practice, right? So what we've seen is exactly that. We've seen uh, permaculture in the, its first couple of decades go, you know, like a weedy species, Wherever there's disturbed soil, that is where, you know, modern civilization is not just, um, you know, quote, developed countries where um, modern design practice is so destructive and there's laws and regulations and an existing economy that ties up all the resources. That's where permaculture has a little harder time getting established. But when you go into developing uh, areas or areas that there have been crisis and so forth. It's just like when there's ecological crisis and you open up canopy, right? Um, the, the old disease trees gets pushed over or taken down and now all of a sudden there's an opening and, um, we can go in and we can, we can try things and we can iterate and so forth. So to me, that's kind of a little bit of the way I think about the way permaculture was structured and why Mollison was kind of brilliant by putting it out there and letting it go wild and weedy. Um, but the challenge is, uh, as you said, where is the, quote, official permaculture doctrine? And because it was a little bit of a, of a let's let it go many different directions and evolve in many different ways and many different paths, then, you know, what's the true mother seed at this point in time? Well, it's evolved and um, different uh, DNA has um, you know, emerged in different places. And so we're now at a very interesting juncture where we're thinking about how do we make this thing, you know, scale and like what I'm looking at and thinking about is how do I help to, you know, create a, a version of the, uh, of, of a, a more case selected species uh, that um, will, can move in and, sort of help displace bad design practice at this sort of like more large developed scale. Um, so I guess that's a little way of how I've been thinking about it. I like that analogy very much. Um, mm-hmm. And and so it's like uh, we're going to just have to embrace that there is a downside in order to yes. be able to embrace that it can spread like wildfire 
Um, yeah, and iterate quickly and therefore evolve quickly and progress quickly, which is what it had to do at the beginning, right? It had to, it was a design science that needed a lot of practical experimentation, quick and dirty, to, you know, mature it and get it to the point where it was ready to displace, um, you know, all of the, the, the developed, um, systems that civilization has been using. I, as I read this, I, I have a recurring thought, and that is that would Bill approve of what I'm doing, mm-hmm. of of what I, you know, my current strategies, my experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that before he died, uh, he got a deck of the permaculture playing cards, and then uh, he told Jeff, who told me that. He thought they were great. And so he really liked them. He, he felt that a lot of the information on his card was inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> and so we actually made the changes that he suggested uh, in the mm. uh, second edition of the permanent mm-hmm. playing cards. Um, but I kind of wish to hear from Bill, like, hey, Bill, did you read my book? What did you think? And, and hey, Bill, are you familiar with what I'm doing here? What do you think? You know, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I, I wish for that kind of approval. And the best I can do is pretend that, yes, of course he would approve. <laughs> because, I don't know, I mean, he approved of He said sepulture stuff is permaculture. And I feel like I feel strongly that in, in fact I, I gotta make it clear I need to do what I need to do and I just happen to like calling it permaculture. Mm. I think it fits well with what mm-hmm. I'm doing. And so if anybody comes along and says that's not permaculture, which of course there's been a long parade of people that have elected to say that. And then there's a long parade of people that also point to other projects and say that that's not permaculture. And I'm here to say that no the people with the finger are wrong. And that the people that are actually out there doing it and enjoying Mm -hmm. what they're doing in permaculture, they are doing permaculture. It's the person with the finger who is trying to discourage what they're doing. And and all they're really saying is not only are they saying I'm an ignorant dumbass, and I don't mean I, me, but I, them, that, that they're professing to their own ignorance of permaculture, but they're, they're also inadvertently uh, slowing things down, and they're expressing, their true expression is, I'm doing something different. The way I do permaculture is different than the way that you do permaculture. That's, that's the real thing that they're trying to say. You know, uh, my suspicion would be if Bill were still with us and could see a lot of the different experiments going on, um, and, you know, yours plus there's a lot of others and they all kind of have different DNA. They all go after a little bit different, um, or differently. And my suspicion would be that if he could, you know, look at all of that just based upon what I, I see from his reading and what I, you know, from listening to him and he teaches and so forth, I suspect he would say, you know, we need all of that. Um, that all, we need all of that experimentation. We need all of that. We need that diversity of thought. We need that diversity of approaches so that we can actually, you know, learn and see what is 
working and what works in one biome and for one group of people probably is not exactly what's going to work for others. And so to me, anytime I run across somebody who um, is a proponent of the, quote, one true way philosophy, right, mm-hmm. um, in systems design and systems architecture, uh, it tells me that um, they just have a lot to learn because there is no one true way systems across our very widely varied planet, uh, the ecosystems, the, the, the biomes, the um, climate zones and so forth, the cultures, the people. Um, boy, there's, I mean, these are all complex nonlinear dynamical systems and each one of them in order to create a permanent culture inside of them is its own dance. And um, I think we should celebrate the fact that there is no one thing, you know, that's because how depressing would that be to have a monoculture of cultures, a monoculture of approaches? And how rich is the tapestry when we realize that every place has its own special dance, its own way, its own, you know, each group of people can express what it means to have a permanent culture in their own unique and special way. And that there's something a little bit pathological about having the need to point at other people and say, you are wrong as a way of um, basically um, trying to, to claim that you are right, you know that for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Um, so I, I just, I, I kind of have to fundamentally reject that. The more I've traveled, the more I've met people, the more I've studied systems and complex systems, the more I kind of have to laugh at that. You know, it's almost right. like I have to feel sorry for people who get into that mindset. I I agree that when people have that mindset, that they are limiting themselves. Yes. And that they are trying to force their limitation onto others. Mm-hmm. And as a form of counter to that, I ha- I need to share. So there's, I'm at this event, and there's like 50 people, and they're all about to sit down and have dinner. And I'm I'm visiting with Jeff Lawton. We're like standing off to one side, and we're talking. And and he said, you know what? Is is he's sharing this thing about Bill with me? And mm-hmm. he's saying, this one time, I helped Bill move, and there was a shipping container that was filled top to bottom, front to back with books. And Bill challenged Jeff, pick any book and then tell me a page number and I'll tell you what it says. Mm. And I just kind of thought, and, and Jeff says, now you might think I'm exaggerating, but I was there. I saw it. So it's like you're, whether or not you're thinking I'm making this up, but it was a shipping container. I mean, he's, so just imagine that number of books. Mm-hmm. Then the whole thing about permaculture was to, to kind of take the best of the best to help the world go in a, in a direction, a positive direction instead of a negative direction. And, and you, and you think about it, it's like, well, a lot of the earthwork stuff is kind of 
stolen from PA Yeomans' stuff on keyline design. Mm-hmm. And then after, if you study permaculture before you study keyline, then all the keyline stuff is about that plow. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like all the pond stuff, that's permaculture, right? But no, it all, it all came from keyline design. Yes, there's a, there's an awful lot. Yes, I mean, uh, it, you know, if you're serious about studying and understanding in depth the thought that came into it, you got to go back and get P.A. Yeoman's books, um, and not just Water for Every Farm. Uh, there, are, you know, his other books. That's that's a good place to start. Um, but I have pretty much all of P.A. Yeoman's books I could get a hold of uh, because. That's it. And Mark Shepard's book, I'm just now, I've just now gotten it. His new one, uh, Water for Any Farm. I'm just now starting to attack it. It's very interesting to see like his take on that as well. Okay. So. I gotta, I gotta share a quick thing about Mark Shepard. And mm-hmm. I'm sure Mark Shepard never listens to any of my podcasts, but, um, here at my place, we have a lot of people coming and going and, you know, Hey, it's my vacation. I'm here for two weeks. Where can I help? You know, it's, so we get a lot of people coming through mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and so a guy came, and he was a great guy, and and he said, you know, I was over it. Uh, I, I spent like six months at Mark Shepard's place, and uh, and he says he says that there's a feud between the two of you. Hmm. There is. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> what, why? What are we feuding about? He's I don't. I don't know what it's about. He just says that there's a feud, and so I was kind of like. News to me. I I fully support Mark's stuff. His stuff is cool. You know, it's a, it's different than what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I, but I don't think that's a feud. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's different artists doing it. One of us paints more in blue and one of us paints more in yellow. It's kind right. of, like, we're just different artists. I'm in the Rocky Mountains. You know, it's going to be a little different than, than where he is. Oh, so, yeah. Um, he's also working in the commodity markets. I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I did that when I was a young man and I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna dodge that bullet. <laughs> so, so it's like we each have our own recipes. Yes. But, uh, and then one of my pod people, uh, sent me the book, uh, sent me Mark's new book and, and I'm, mm-hmm. I have thumbed it, but like three minutes worth. And I, and I thought to myself, Oh, you know what I want to, I want to do one of those podcast reviews, like page by page reviews. Kind of like what we're doing now, but for Mark's new book. And uh, I, I know uh, Adrian Lapointe desperately wants me to do Mark's first book, which I've never gotten around to doing. And so, mm, mm-hmm. so much to do, so much to do. Absolutely. So I want to go on record as saying, if Mark thinks there's a feud and he thinks poorly of what I'm doing, then I encourage him to think poorly of what I'm doing. And I do not think poorly <laughs> of whatever Mark's doing. And um, so I don't believe there's a feud, but uh, if he enjoys a feud for some reason, then I, you know, let him have a feud. I, I, I'm, I haven't noticed. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to pretend to be upset if that's what's required of me. <laughs> I'm so upset. <laughs> so you ready for the next blurb? I am. In 1984, we held our first international permaculture conference and awarded about 50 applied diplomas to those who had served two years of applied work since their design course. I don't remember this at all. 
I, I was so excited to read this. So, uh, are you familiar with this thing? Um, I have heard bits and pieces uh, around it because, of course, this was pretty much happening almost exclusively in Australia, if I understand it. Um, so, you know, there are people that uh, are still around in Australia that, that I, I believe are part of this, and this is part of the structure of, you know, the various permaculture groups in Australia. Um, but I don't know a lot about this particular part of the history. Uh, I just have heard reference to it. Okay. Um, all right. So I, I don't know what exactly went behind it and things. I, I, the, I, it kind of makes me think we have the boot camp program. And so people come here and then they work 40 hours a week for two years and we set them up with an acre or they could choose to sell that acre. Um, and, and so this is our way. I don't think we're going to do that indefinitely. I think that there's going to be a day when what we have here is so beautiful that the number of people who wish to be in the boot camp program is greater than what we can facilitate. And we will have gotten to a point where we no longer need to offer that acre and people will wish to be in the boot camp. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll do what, what's being suggested here. Okay, it's been two years. Uh, look, we made you this nice piece of paper, and uh, that's called uh, applied. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, applied for two-year applied. It's a diploma. Yeah, not a not just a certificate. It's a diploma, <laughs> and we could give them that. Here's this nice piece of paper. You can have that. I do think that you know. Of course, you've seen the um, the certificate that we give out at the completion of the PDC here. Yes. I th- I think we have the most beautiful PDC document ever made, but, you know, perhaps you've seen one that's better? Mm, uh, I've, I've seen ones that are different. I wouldn't say I've seen one that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Such a diplomat. <laughs> but, but I could say, like, we could give this really Pretty document. <laughs> I mean, it's been two years. You deserve a pretty document. Yep. So, but I do believe that a lot of people um, are. I, I the people that are in the boot camp now seem to be thoroughly enjoying it, and they just love the experience. And so um, that they're that they're getting, and, and I have conversations with the boots here regularly. But applied. Applied di- diploma. That is an interesting and fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there is anybody listening to us talk about it who got one of those pieces of paper. And they could tell us what they did to get that. Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to hear what was involved in that. Mm-hmm. That might be worth a whole nother book. All right. The next little bit I got is, Permaculture is a word coined by the author. Well, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's saying it's made up by Bill. And I kind of thought it was made up, you know, uh, by by David. Um, and and it's like, uh, but but this is saying clearly, it's, maybe there's some disagreement between the two, but I wouldn't think that there would be. I do know that there was something about, like, David went and did something else for, like, 20 years and then came back. And I don't even know how true that is. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, permaculture's taken off. I'll come back. I kind of like it, you know, and I wish I'd never left. So I want to do this some more. So um, I don't know that's the whole story. It's lots of rumors and conjecture, and I'm sure David knows more. So for the, the fun of it, I pulled out uh, Permaculture 1, um, and I am looking on page 1, where it says, introductory comment, permaculture defined, and the first sentence says, permaculture is a word we have coined for an integrated, evolving system of perennial or self-perpetuating plant and animal species useful to man. And um, so when it's, and the we, of course, would be explicit and David Holmgren's. So um, in Permaculture 1, the word is we. So let's just be generous and say that they co- that, that they both probably contributed to the idea. Oh, yeah. I think I think that one's all agreed upon it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So um, and uh, uh, later uh, Bill is going to advocate cooperation and, mm-hmm. and perhaps in reading between the lines of these two books, we get a sense that cooperation could have been smoother here, thus showing that even amongst the greatest among us, that cooperation can sometimes be challenging. Um, the next blurb, permaculture, and then in parentheses it says permanent agriculture. So um, I know that... A, a lot of newer schools of thought are permanent culture, mm-hmm. but he's sticking to here in, in this book, permanent agriculture. Is the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive systems which have the diversity, stability, and resilience of natural ecosystems. It is the harmonious integration of landscape and people providing their food, energy, shelter, and other material and non-material needs in a sustainable way. Without permanent agriculture, there is no possibility of a stable social order. Yes, and that uh, last sentence, by the way, is repeated again. He repeats that again in Chapter 1, that sentence. And yeah. um, I think that's a very interesting and a very strong statement, and I actually kind of have to agree with it. Um, you know, and, and on the whole thing of, you know, permaculture as permanent agriculture or permanent culture, I think that that is one of those places where, as we said, the DNA has evolved Um if you go back and you read permaculture one and permaculture two, it's obvious that yes, in the, in the, in the beginning that there was a huge amount of emphasis on food production and so forth, because it's so fundamental to human needs. But the further you go down looking at the systems engineering of what it takes to have human culture work, the more you realize that this is of course one of several critical pathways and it's probably the best first critical pathway because it really takes us down what people now are calling, you know, biomimetic pathways, which is that by observing natural systems, we can learn and see how regenerative design can be accomplished. 
And so if you, if you wanted to start out in the best place to get us to truly regenerative culture, then the best place from a systems engineering standpoint to start is probably with permanent agriculture. Um, to start to look at how do we really design systems that work with nature instead of against nature. And and it's probably the best place because then you have to pick it up and you have to say, okay, now we have to do it for energy. Now we have to do it for transportation. Now we have to do it for buildings and for textiles and so on and so forth, right, um, in order to get to the point where your entire culture is truly a permanent culture. So to me, I still think of permaculture, when I define it for the people I'm describing it to or teaching as permanent culture by way of permanent agriculture, that it started as permanent agriculture and that part of the um, evolution of the understanding of sustainable and regenerative design has been that it has to come to permanent culture because permanent agriculture cannot stand by itself. Um, You could not create a permanent agriculture without addressing um, the rest of the system. As we go into this, um, about 15 different times, I thought of something. I said it a long time ago, and somebody made it into a meme, and it's around. But I kind of feel like I, I, I think a lot about the symbiotic relationship with nature. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of people that I have encountered that feel that permaculture is about leaving nature alone, mm. which is true in Zone 5. And in these opening pages, Bill Mollison puts a lot of emphasis on how we desperately need areas that are completely left our own. In fact, I think he seems to indicate that a majority of all space needs to be a space that's just completely left alone. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, go ahead. Let me, let me just finish this thing. So, yeah. so the thing that I say is that uh, when I look at a field of corn, to me it sounds like dial tone. <laughs> and when I look at nature as is, to me it sounds like white noise. And then where I see a perny in a romantic relationship with nature – that's where you have the symphony in seed and soil. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we are the composers of this form of beauty and that I'm going, I'm going to say that I believe, and I'm not going to say anybody else does, just me. I'm a weirdo. Uh, I believe that I'm, I'll even go so far as to say my function as opposed to our function. My function here is to be a gardener. Like I kind of feel like that's that's my my purpose. And that when I design a building to live in, it's the ultimate design by and for a gardener. And mm. and when I think about, you know, the energy needs that I have, it's it's that of a gardener. And and so I just kind of feel like my function is to be a gardener, to to have a symbiotic relationship with nature, and then all the rest of permaculture is born from that type of gardening. 
All right, there you go. That's my weird thing. Okay, so yeah, you're, you're, here it comes because you just, this this opens up something for me that is very fundamental to the way that the systems I've been trying to design to teach professionals. It has a lot to sort of like say about this. Um, I've created a framework called Integrated Regenerative Design that um, I work with in training professionals. And the regenerative design system is permaculture in that framework, right? It has other parts to it. But uh, it also has uh, a part of the framework called that I've called eco-culture. And um, the way I define the difference is this, that there are parts of the landscape uh, in which we engage with that landscape to shape the yields of that landscape primarily for uh, human ends, right, to create yields for humans. And then there are other parts of the landscape in which we can engage such that um, we are a keystone species and we can help the biodiversity and the productivity of that landscape, but um, the, it, is, it is primarily not for our ends. It is uh, to... Uh, basically f- to provide the home and the the space for all of the other of the earth's inhabitants because th- we are in a mutually symbiotic relationship with them they provide uh for us in all kinds of deep ways so i would look at it like this um we need to have some fraction of the land on earth that is in permaculture, right, that we are tending and producing yields that are primarily for human, um, you know, use. But in those spaces, um, we will also provide yields for all kinds of other um, of the inhabitants of the planet. Uh, and um, that's part of the mutually symbiotic relationship. And then there are wild spaces in Zone 5, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we completely leave those alone, because if you look at it and you go back and you see how some of the, you know, the hunter-gatherer peoples uh, that were our progenitors, the way they dealt with, the, they worked with these wild spaces, they actually tended those wild spaces in certain ways that made them productive beyond what would have been happening if they hadn't been there. In other words, they became a keystone species in that space. And um, so I think there is room for us to engage in eco-culture in wild spaces that we need to be meaning, you know, mindful of setting aside probably the majority of our surface as those eco-cultured spaces where we step into our role in some places as you know, keystone species to help regenerate and produce uh, and, and you know, be part of that dance in which the, the dance is not about us. We're just, you know, a, a minor player in the dance. And then we need to be thinking about permaculture in those places that are our nests, you know, our areas and um, providing that. So it, that's how I look at it in, as a balance um, between them. And, um yeah, I think that um, when we when we look at it that way, we can finally acknowledge that we are, you know, we are part of the whole natural system. It's not like, yep, we do permaculture over here because we are not part of nature, right? And the whole rest of that over there is nature, and we just don't, we're not involved with that, right? 
um, we are somehow separate from that. That, to me, creates a lot of problems. Telling people at a sort of subconscious level, you are not part of this natural ecosystem that we have to displace nature in order to create human space instead of, you know, we are deeply integrated with nature and we have some spaces where we managed it a little bit more intensively to produce our yields and the things that support us. Just like, as we say, everything gardens, right? You, you We're gardening for our own needs, but then there are other areas where, we take our mantle as a keystone species and dance along with the rest of the natural world uh, to produce abundance for all of our neighbors. And that's how I, I look at it. This podcast is continued in part three. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.